It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. I think it's important to remember why you're doing it. I've always wanted to develop a disruptive technology and commercialize it. That's the reason I became an engineer. And to have that forefront in your mind, I think it helps you through the, the lows. Um, but there are also amazing amounts of highs. Hi, and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. For the past few episodes, I've been focusing on market reactions to the virus. I don't know about you, but I'm getting tired of the relentless focus, and that's why this episode is a change of pace. A refreshing cleanser to look forward to better times and the optimistic promise of technology and innovation enabled by capital. I'm speaking with founder and chief technology officer of the Hazer Group, Dr. Andrew Conejo. G'day, Andrew. Hey, Bill. How are you going? Really good. Now, I met uh, Andrew, I met you last year at the ASX Small and Mid-Cap Conference in Sydney, and I was intrigued by the technology that he was describing. The company produces hydrogen and graphite in a unique process that assists in decarbonisation. So, Andrew, your PhD was gained in studying this technology. What got you interested in the first place? Uh, I'm generally interested in in innovations in general, especially um, global impacting technologies. Essentially, it came down to looking at an old idea, an old technology with new eyes. The idea of the process of methane decomposition has been around for a long time, since the 50s, in fact. Mm -hmm. Um, There's been research in academia since then, but it's never really been commercialized. One of the inputs that I had was... Is, is to identify what was the root cause why it hasn't been commercialized and it all came down to um, the simplicity of the catalyst and so just by looking at that different change in viewpoint well, we were able to make something that was commercial okay so tell us about the process and um, how hazer is developing this process the process essentially involves taking a, a hydrocarbon in, in methane uh, Hydrogen can be made using methane and is done globally. About 90% of the world's hydrogen is made using methane or, or fossil fuels in general. But what happens is the, the byproduct of it tends to be a lot of CO2. And so much CO2, in fact, that it's more than if you just burnt the, the fossil fuels to begin with. What we do is instead of producing CO2, we capture the carbon component of the, the, the methane as solid graphite. And we're able to do that essentially by using a catalyst. The key is uh, we are able to use a catalyst that is so cheap that it can be essentially consumed by the process economically. Um, We literally use dirt. So iron ore is what we use, and you can literally take a handful of dirt from the Pilbara and be used in this reactor. The basic point of um, the process is to to come up with hydrogen and there's going to be a, a hydrogen wave coming up. Uh, I think a lot of people aren't aware of in decarbonisation that um, people think about solar and they think about um, wind power, but um, hydrogen is going to be an important part in the future. Can you tell us a bit about the hydrogen wave that's coming? Absolutely. Well, hydrogen wave is, is coming about because of those renewable opportunities. So renewables itself, whether it be solar, wind or what have you, the price on these uh, technologies is coming down dramatically. 
And what hydrogen does is enables the transportation of that energy. As the renewable costs go down, that is still only benefiting those local areas that have those renewables. The, uh, the opportunity is to be able to export that energy. Now, one good example is Australia. We have a lot of solar, we have a lot of wind, and a, a way you can export that is to turn that renewable energy into uh, to hydrogen. That hydrogen can then be compressed or liquefied and it can be exported. So that's one of the, the key advantages. So it actually does come from the renewable sector, this, this push for hydrogen. Hydrogen is obviously uh, a very clean um, energy uh, transporter, in a sense, energy carrier. You can oxidize it using either combustion or you can use a, a fuel cell and you can produce electricity from it. So it can be completely clean, but as long as the hydrogen itself is produced in a clean way. So in the future, uh, with electric cars, people are thinking that um, you have to have the, uh, the batteries to power them, but hydrogen is an alternative fuel source for electric vehicles. Is that the case? In both cases, you're having a, a, a solution that is electrification of a vehicle. So both a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle and a battery vehicle uses electricity. The only difference is the hydrogen fuel cell vehicle has an onboard energy uh, source. So it produces its own electricity on board and it produces it from the hydrogen through, via a fuel cell. But it still relies on electricity to operate. What we believe is there will be horses for courses as regards to the usage of different technologies, whether it be battery electric vehicles or hydroelectric vehicles, in the same way that there's, um, there's a shared market between petrol vehicles and diesel vehicles. There's an advantage on, on each of them for different aspects of, of usage. Now, we believe that hydrogen itself has a, has a large, a high range and faster refueling times. So it will have advantages in the longer haul type of transport. And the longer distances, so haulage, buses, those kind of things. Whereas the short day-to-day type transports, residential use, those kind of things, uh, will rely more heavily on battery type. And one of the advantages that Hazer has is it, it kind of has a foot in each camp in the sense that we obviously can provide a clean form of hydrogen for use in hydrogen fuel cells, but our graphite can also be used in a variety of different areas. And one of those areas that we're investigating is in the use of batteries, so lithium-ion batteries. I'm not sure if it's well known that lithium-ion batteries uses quite a lot of high-value graphite. What we might be able to do is, is replace what traditionally is, is derived either from um, synthetic sources like uh, petroleum coke or through mined graphite and to instead use our own. Now, the advantages of that might be the properties in itself. We have quite unique forms of graphitic carbon that we can produce. Um, but it, might, it is also in the form of the CO2 component associated with the production of that. Um, obviously, if we have a process that is sequestering CO2, like in the instance that we're talking about, you essentially have a green carbon that you're utilising for those purposes. So not only do you, do you have electrification of a vehicle, but you also have a, a very green component that's coming in or going into that product itself. Yeah, I know you've used the term sequestration, but it's almost like it's, um, what's it, carbon positive, carbon negative? I can't actually work out how to describe it, but you're actually taking carbon out of the system and um, producing a usable byproduct, aren't you, with that carbon? Because graphite basically is carbon, isn't it? Graphite is carbon, that's right. Yeah, it's a different form of, of carbon. Essentially, yeah, so on the sequestration topic, yeah, we, we, we are sequestrating CO2 by carbon, in, in the fossil fuel, but also in biogas. So if we're able to use biogas instead of natural gas, 
we essentially go down the path you mentioned, so carbon negative. Now, biogas is derived from a, from a biogenic process. It's gone through biological sources to some degree initially. And so it's captured CO2 from the atmosphere via plants through photosynthesis. If you then produce biogas out of that and you crack that biogas using our process, and by crack we mean our process, you produce hydrogen and carbon. So you're essentially storing that carbon that was once in the atmosphere as a solid form of carbon, which has on uses. That's what we classify as, as a carbon negative scenario. And it can be quite, quite large amounts of sequestration that you're doing via this process. When you first started with this process, was graphite part of the idea in the, the, in the initial phases or was it something that uh, you realised that uh, along the way of development? Uh, yes, the, the market for graphite was indeed known and it was always a requirement that, or at least a, an additive, that we get a revenue from the byproduct in order to offset the cost of the hydrogen production. So that was always understood. The, the real question was whether it was a primary product or a secondary product and I think that's what changed from here to there. Uh, what we we're very fortunate about as a company is that both of our commodities had its day in the sun in terms of the market. It was, it was quite attractive right in the early stages when we went through the IPO process. The carbon, the graphite component was very attractive to, to the investors because uh, carbon was going, graphite was going through the roof. And now going forward, uh, when we're at the position where we're, we're pivoting between R&D and commercialization, we're finding this massive hydrogen wave. So we've been quite fortunate in that the two commodities that we produce have actually um, been uh, quite well received in the market. And when you talk about biogas, that is produced basically from uh, landfill sites, isn't it? Yeah, biogas can be produced on a number of means. Landfill is one opportunity whereby you can uh, basically just through um, anaerobic decomposition of, of, of landfill produces uh, CO2 and, and methane, and you, you can tap that. And some places around the world, including Australia, do tap that and use that either as an energy source. Yep. Well, we, we're looking at deriving our biogas, at least initially, from wastewater treatment, so sewage digestion. And this is also a little-known fact um, that a lot of the sewage around the world, and, and indeed in Australia, is treated by uh, anaerobic digestion, whereby uh, ba- bacteria essentially consume portions of it and uh, emit CO2 and, and methane. Now, we're, we're looking at actually tapping that here in Perth for our next stage plant. So anaerobic, that uh, means without oxygen or without air, is that right? Without oxygen, yeah. Yeah, so these little bacteria are just working on our behalf totally for free, huh? Totally for free, that's right. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, let's talk about Hazer for a moment. How would you describe the size of Hazer and what stage of growth are you currently in? Uh, we're fairly, fairly early stage still, um, but I, I think um, and how we describe it is that we're, we're kind of at a pivot between uh, strictly R&D and commercial. Um, we've kind of cracked the back on a lot of the technical aspects and we're, we're very, very content with the way things are at. We've got two operating pilot plants that have operated 
exceeded all expectations. And now we're at the process of producing a what we term a commercial demonstration plant, whereby we can showcase the entire technology at a scale that is on the lower end of a commercial plant. And we're also looking at um, uh, essentially having first revenue from this plant, whereby we can sell the hydrogen for end use, ideally in the in the energy fuel sector. Uh, what we'd like to do is to have this plant taking biogas from wastewater treatment plant here in Perth and ideally used into energy sectors like buses or, or ferries or, or what have you. So is there a local market for hydrogen at the moment? There is, and that's one of the challenges that we have is, is that the market in terms of hydrogen for the energy sector is very low. Uh, in Australia, it's virtually nil. So not only do we have to develop the technology to produce the hydrogen, we also have to develop the market also. And that, that becomes part of the challenge of what we have here. But there's a lot of interest in the sector from government through to industry. So we're, we're seeing a lot of um, positive steps in that area. So uh, ARENA are involved um, with the pilot project, aren't they? They are, yeah. So we've been quite fortunate. Having ARENA involved gives us a lot of credibility. We went through quite a lengthy due diligence process, and um, which, which gives us a lot of um, confidence in our technology and in the team. With this program, we're able to secure a, a decent portion of investment uh, in order to build this commercial, commercial demonstration plant here in Perth. I think this is one of the, the exciting things for me, and I think listeners would be interested to know because a lot of people think of the share market as being very large companies that are um, uh, that they can invest in and become part of. But there is, an, there is the other aspect of the share market where innovation and ideas – can be um, commercialised um, with the help of the capital that goes into it. Um, can you describe that process for us a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a lot of um, such technologies that uh, what we call disruptive technologies where they, the technology itself allows there to be a completely different means of producing commodity or, or task. Um, I think that's what we've got here. Um, in, in what you asked about having the a listed company go through this path. It, it's quite unique for a um, for this type of story to get listed so early because we're still in the research phase. Uh, it would have been unusual for us to be listed this early, but we were forced to essentially. We didn't really have much of a choice. The BC market in Australia was not that great at the time, and so we were kind of um, forced into to the path. We're quite fortunate in the sense that our process has two commodities that have large range of uses across a number of different industries and that in itself fosters a lot of interest from the market so we were able to generate enough interest in in investors in order to to list and also in in, in terms of having ongoing support when did uh, mineral resources come on board i mean that must be important because they're a major processing company of minerals in australia aren't they absolutely yeah mineral resources came on board a, a few years ago they were actually part of the um the original uh, IPO as well, so they did invest in that stage. Uh, having their support has been uh, instrumental. They give us a lot of credibility with their size um, and and what they've done in the resource sectors, and they've also been instrumental in in creating um, a a separate pilot plant that uses a the same process but different type of technology, which uh, focuses more on the the graphite component. It allows the tailoring of the graphite. Um, to a high degree, so you can you can change the 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 purities and the morphologies a little bit more fine tuned. 
I think listeners, uh, when they think of disruptive technology these days, they're thinking of digital companies and um, digital solutions and cloud-based solutions. But um, yours is much more of a real-world disruptor. Yeah, it's a, it's a disruptor in terms of its being in the industrial sector. Uh, has its challenges, though. I mean, I, I think you, you tend to find um, IT disruptions happening more frequently because it's a little bit easier to get to market. Um, the the scale-up costs aren't necessarily as, as high there. Uh, we have the challenges in the sense that we have to build scale and in that there's in, in, inboard risks. But I think the opportunities there are, are quite large. And um, in our sector, there's there's a lot of opportunities because on both sides of our commodities, there's a large number of industries that require those commodities. So in the hydrogen, you've got an existing market for hydrogen in industrial hydrogen production. So for the production of ammonia and petrochemical refining, explosives, fertilizers, that's an existing market that's available globally today. So I think it's $100 billion a year market existing today. The growth sector in that market in hydrogen is in the energy sector, and that's what this, the hydrogen way that you're talking about, that's what that is, is revolved around. And then on the carbon side of things, there's, there's a whole different array of different industries that use the carbon side. We produce uh, various forms of graphitic types of carbon just by changing the, the process slightly. So temperature changes or pressure changes or catalyst changes, slight tweaks, and you can drastically change the type of, of carbon that you produce, the different graphite morphologies. So in that way, we can not only try and tweak our, our graphite for different uh, applications in the graphite industry, so for instance in electrodes or lithium-ion batteries or refractory, we can also then potentially tweak it for other carbon-related commodities such as carbon black or activated carbon, which are, are much larger markets in themselves. So we, we actually have a, a little bit of an advantage over other carbon-related commodities in the sense that it can be tailored. So Hazer is basically your baby. You're, you're, you're one of the founders of the company. How does it feel having nurtured it through to this stage for you personally? Oh, it's been a been a roller coaster ride i'll be honest um <laughs> i think it's important to remember why you're doing it i've always wanted to develop a disruptive technology and, and commercialize it that's the reason i became an engineer and to have that forefront in your mind i think it helps you through the the lows um but there are also amazing amounts of highs in in the whole process and yeah i can just say look it's it, it's something that i would encourage uh, but i would encourage eyes wide open because it does it, it does take it out of you, but um, the rewards are there. And it's certainly something that I, if, if given the opportunity, I'll take time and time again. So I think there's, there's inherent difficulties in regards to taking what is a, a concept through to commercialization. There's, there's inherent challenges, technically, commercially, business related. Point your finger in any direction, there's always going to be a challenge. And there's a number of uh, complexities. Um, I'll give you one example is, for instance, our pilot plant. Being early stage listed, we kind of had to run before we walked. And uh, developing a pilot plant is not a, a trivial matter. I mean, we're, we're talking uh, unprecedented process and you're rushing to develop it on a budget. That's a recipe for disaster. And well, the commissioning of that plant actually took a, a little bit longer than what we uh, we hoped. It wasn't great, but ultimately we got there in the end. I think those are just examples of, of inherent ways and scaling up a technology. I suppose you're not uh, building something from a blueprint that's pre-existing. You're designing and 
coming up with it as you go along, aren't you? Well, that's all right. I mean, even when you have um, very simple or very precedented technologies like crushing and screening in the mining industry, I mean, they, they still have very large commissioning time to ramp up to, to full production. And, and they're very precedented. It's been around for decades. And so you can appreciate when you have an unprecedented technology, you can appreciate even more um, difficulties going along the way. But it's part of the challenge. So what is the timeline? Hazer first started in 2007, is that correct? Uh, the research started. So I, I started my, my PhD back in 2007. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the company listed in, in late 2015. And now we're at the position, as I said, where we're right at the cusp of commercialization. Mm-hmm. That's the next step where we can start to have revenue in. So it's a very exciting time. Quite excited for the time ahead. Can you give us a description of the pilot plants and how they're operating? We have two pilot plants. They both are in Perth. They're essentially um, of the same capacity. They use the same chemistry, but they're, the actual reactors themselves are slightly different. And they're, they're done like that to allow us to develop the or to tweak certain aspects over others. The next stage, which is what we're talking about, with the, is the commercial demonstration plant. will be situated on um, a women's point here in uh, in Australia, it's a wastewater treatment facility, and the idea there is to use the biogas, to treat the biogas, and to utilise that in our process to produce hydrogen for, um, ideally, the energy sector within Australia. What's the overseas market uh, for for hydrogen, and why is Australia well placed to to uh, tackle this? Uh, yeah, there's certainly more appetite, or at least currently more appetite for hydrogen in other parts of the world. There's there's quite a few hydrogen fuel cell vehicles running around the world today and likewise fueling stations. Um, Australia's a little bit on the back foot on this, but we, we now that we've got the national hydrogen strategy, we're, we're certainly making roads into that endeavour. Um, there are opportunities in exporting, whether it be uh, this technology or even other forms of hydrogen production. There's a national hydrogen strategy. I've never heard of this. Uh, yes, it was an initiative that's come about um, uh, initially by CSIRO. But yeah, there's there's quite a few interested parties that have developed schemes and um, roadmap to, to get Australia on the, uh, the hydrogen bandwagon. Andrew, thank you very much for coming on because it's just a, such a pleasure to hear about innovation and optimism in, in these uh, times that we're going through at the moment. And um, I really congratulate you on the work that you're doing. Thanks a lot, Phil. I really appreciate your, your, your kind words. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Shares for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. Thanks to Christopher Soulos for music production with that special Greekalicious flavour. Remember, music always flows, even when the money won't. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.